Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartenized. Today's bonus episode, Postcards from Across the Pond. If you're new to the show, bonus episodes are things that I do occasionally that either have a different format or, as in this case, is something that was written by somebody else. This episode is a reading from a great new book, Postcards from Across the Pond. One of the very best ways to understand a country is through the eyes of a foreigner, somebody who's coming in with a different set of preconceptions and taking a look at things. We still find Alex de Tocqueville's writings on early America a definitive study of what things were really like back then. And he wrote them from his perspective as a Frenchman, an entirely fresh view, and let us see America differently than we could see it through an American's eyes. Mike Harling is an American who went on a vacation in Europe, met a woman that he fell in love with, came back home, quit his job, sold everything that he owned, and moved to England to marry her. Ever since, he's been writing about his experiences over there, in that foreign country, the UK, from his uniquely American perspective. And while he may not be as famous as de Tocqueville, at least not yet, he's certainly much, much funnier. His book, Postcards from Across the Pond, has just been published. So here are a few excerpts from it to give you an idea why you should run out and buy it right away. The first article, Fun with Firearms. I grew up in rural America, and that means one thing. Well, okay, two. Cow tipping and guns. Firearms are as American as a post office massacre, and where I grew up, chambering around was as natural a part of life as sneaking bottles of beer out of the back of my sister's boyfriend's pickup truck while she gave him a hand job in the cab. I learned to shoot when I was nine and rarely encountered anyone who didn't own a gun. It was therefore expected that I would acquire my own guns as I grew up, providing my sister's boyfriend didn't shoot me first. Because of this upbringing, as well as several peripheral, not yet unimportant activities, I found myself some years later living in suburban America with a wife, three infant children, a loaded pistol in the night table, and a burglar creeping up the stairs. Well, that's what it sounded like anyway. My erstwhile wife and I were reading in bed late one night when we both detected the sound of furtive footsteps on the stairway. We barely had time to exchange startled looks before the noise sounded again and convinced us there was someone in the house. While I freely admit to being a devout coward, sometimes a man's got to do what a man's got to do, and so, with a mildly trembling heart, I slipped out of bed, grabbed the pistol, scooped up the sleeping cat, and went to confront the intruder. Looking back, I suppose the sight of a naked man holding a revolver in one hand and a bewildered feline in the other 
might have been enough to convince any would-be burglar to vacate the premises voluntarily, especially if the man said something enigmatic and Eastwood-esque, such as, I've got a cat here, mister, and I'm not afraid to use it. Instead, desiring to keep the element of surprise firmly in my corner, I tiptoed to the edge of the doorway and flung the startled cat into the abyss, the theory being that a yowling, hissing sprawl of fur or claws and teeth would initiate an interesting diversion and provide cover for my next move, which was to jump into the hallway, assume the official police firing position, learn from watching episodes of T.J. Hooker, and get the drop on an empty stairwell. Empty, that is, save for a confused cat lying at the bottom riser, shaking her head and glaring up at me with a look that all but screamed, and just what the fuck was that all about? Despite the continued dearth of burglars, when I started the night shift, my wife insisted on transferring the pistol to her nightstand. Possessing a passing awareness of firearm safety, I was disturbingly conscious of the fact that the most likely person to become an unwilling target was myself, then my wife, children, neighbors, milkman, paperboy, visiting evangelists, and way, way down the list, you might find a burglar. So when my wife left for work in the morning, I removed the bullets and loaded the revolver with blanks. This kept the world a safer place until she overheard me telling a friend about it at a party. As soon as we arrived home, she frog-marched me into the bedroom where, arms crossed, foot tapping, she scowled at me until I reloaded the weapon. Seven hours later, I reversed the process, restoring sanity, if not honesty, to a home rapidly filling up with curious toddlers. To my wife's credit, she eventually relented and, recalling my own childhood pranks, such as removing the hinges from my father's locked gun cabinet to get at the hardware inside, I dismantled the guns and kept several key pieces secured in my desk at work, which was how things remained for many eventful, but thankfully firearm-free years. It wasn't until my move to the UK that I discovered pistols are like children. You continue to be responsible for them until you can convince someone else to take them off your hands. I was surprised at the paperwork involved in getting rid of these idle hunks of metal, but after accomplishing this task, I felt strangely unburdened, as if a twenty-something son had suddenly abandoned his dreams of becoming a mime, got a proper job, and moved out of the basement. Although the UK, like everywhere else, has its bad element, I feel undeniably less likely to be shot here than back in my old hometown where every other citizen is packing heat. Cultural differences continue to surface, and I find it amazing to the point of disbelief that my friends here have never handled, and in many cases never even seen, a gun. Likewise, when they hear tales of how enamored we Americans are of our weapons, they too are incredulous and just a little bit afraid. They should be. As for myself, I'm enjoying a gun-free, well, gun-reduced anyway, society. Crimes may happen, that's simply a sad fact of life, but at least if I do hear something go bump in the night, I won't be scrambling around in the dark with a loaded six-shooter. In the interest of home security, however, I'm thinking about getting a cat. Suicide. We were out buying groceries the other day, and the checkout lady at Waitrose refused to ring up a 16-pack of generic aspirin. It wasn't her fault, 
My wife had already bought a packet of her favorite pain reliever, and the store forbids employees from selling more than one pack of aspirin per shopping party per visit. The reason? Suicide by aspirin is a hugely popular method of topping oneself over here. The theory, I believe, is that your average 15-year-old girl who gets into a strop over her boyfriend's forgetting their three-week anniversary will make it to Tesco's Boots and possibly Superdrug before losing interest in going home to watch Dawson's Creek. It's hard to say how many lives have been saved by many packets of aspirin and attention deficit disorder. As an American, I'm incredulous. We sell aspirin by the bucket load, but I can't name a single person who has scarfed down enough of them to induce a permanent out-of-body experience. In Britain, however, nearly half of all female suicides choose some sort of overdose, aspirin being the runaway favorite, as the preferred dirt nap nightcap. So, fair enough. The terminally depressed on this side of the Atlantic remain stuck in their medieval mindset that casts poisoning in a romantic light. But you'd think the cashier could have looked at the rest of my groceries. Fresh fruit, salad greens, wholemeal bread. I'm not exactly a man on the edge. Besides, for 46 years, I, and everyone else I know, lived in a house with enough aspirin in the medicine cabinet to put Belgium in a coma. If I had the notion to eat a bowlful, I surely would have done so by now. Waitrose, Sansbury, and the other big supermarket chains here should bestow special dispensation on American expats. Maybe give us a badge that says, let us have all the aspirin we want. We're Americans. You can trust us with that stuff. I suppose you could argue that, as Americans, we don't need to resort to such questionable methods of self-termination as we have so many other more attractive, convenient, and lethal means at our disposal. I'm referring, of course, to our ability to get our hands on an unlimited supply of aspirin. Just kidding. I mean, guns and the requisite ammo. Any teenager worth their angst has made at least one half-hearted attempt at attaining room temperature, and unluckily for them, there is generally a firearm close to hand. I say unluckily because, as we all know, suicide is most often a cry for help and one has plenty of time to text a pitiful note to their friends if they take poison or hack their wrist with their dad's safety razor. Teens are expert texters. They'd have no problem broadcasting a goodbye note one-handed while the other is leaking all over the new carpets. Even jumping from a cliff or throwing oneself off a bridge is generally prefaced with a protracted period of standing around waiting for someone to notice them, and then wailing to the crowd and the local news crew about what a tragic life they have before they grow weary of their own pity fest and step into the waiting arms of the matron. But for those unfortunate enough to have the hardware handy when the mood strikes, blacking out fails to be an option once the trigger is pulled. This is why, in the U.S., firearm suicides are, sorry but I have to say it before someone else does, number one with a bullet. For men in the UK, hanging is head and shoulders, okay, I'll stop, I promise, above poisoning, but the two categories together make up nearly 70% of all the DIY deaths in Britain. Looming large over the next most popular category, the ominously titled unspecified, which makes one wonder what shape the bodies were in when the rightful owners were finished with them. Firearm deaths are so far down the list that they have to be combined with explosives in order to attain statistical significance. 
As you may have guessed, this category is far more attractive to those with a Y chromosome. In the U.S., the combination of firearms hanging and poisoning, non-aspirin class, comprises a hefty 87.3% of the total number of Americans willing to roll the dice on the off chance of reincarnation. The next largest category, falls from high places, weighs in at a paltry 2%. I also suspect some statistical skullduggery here. The use of the word falls leads me to believe that they bulk the numbers up by including people who weren't ambitious enough to take the big step, but were merely clumsy. If I had the balls to swan dive off the Chrysler building, I'd be highly affronted to find myself lumped in the same category as some guy who slipped while taking a photo from the top of Mount Rushmore. Just one more statistical tidbit before I stop reading from the U.S.-U.K. Suicides Annual Review. You knew that's what I was doing, didn't you? The U.K. has a category that doesn't even show up on the American hit parade. Moving objects. Really, what were they thinking? My life would have to take some serious bad turns to make the idea of jumping in front of a bus look attractive. Even so, having once been a teenager, the concept of suicide in a general sense, i.e. not involving buses, used to excite a certain fascination and, oddly enough, it was the lethal abundance of firepower at my disposal that kept me from acting on any ill-advised impulses. Being too unimaginative to see beyond the obvious, the idea of the mess I would leave behind deterred me from taking action. So I guess I'm here today because I was too lazy to entertain abstract thought and the fact that my mom taught me to be tidy. Good thing I didn't know about the aspirin. And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can just understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, Congratulations, you've been smartenized. In this case, you got smartenized by somebody else, a guest smartenizer, as it were. And now it is time for me to pack up my stuff. Well, actually, I'm not packing up any stuff. I'm just speaking kind of metaphorically here, getting all ready to start doing the recording for Blood Witness, the website is in place. There's not much to see on it, but if you want to take a gander at it, you can go to bloodwitness.com and see it in all of its gory glory. So you're not going to have any Quick Hits podcasts to listen to, not any new ones at least, until sometime in February when all the Blood Witness stuff gets finished and released. Of course, you can always go back. There's like 80 past episodes, but why bother doing that? You should just go to Amazon and buy yourself a copy of Postcards from the Edge. It's a good book. I would not steer you wrong on this. Uh, if, if you like the humor and the style of this show and of this podcast, I think you'll like Mike's too. His, it, it's different, but uh, he has kind of the, the, the same sideways way of looking at things. And uh, you're going to like this book. It's, it's very cool. So go to Amazon.com and buy that. You can write to me, of course. In the meantime... Hitman at DaveHit.com, and you'll find that all over DaveHit.com, spelled with two T's. And as always, never forget that the Quick Hits Podcast is a journal of one man's opinion. Although in this case, it's a different man's opinion. So it should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.